0: And here's what it reads. Malachi 3.13 says, Your words have been arrogant against me. The Lord is speaking through the prophet. 3.13 says the Lord, Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what prophet is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, But they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. That's our title tonight. A book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day that I prepare my own possession And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For one For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for the truth that it brings, the hope that it brings to us Thank you that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And it goes deep to the deep recesses of our being so that we can have your word be a searchlight and a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We're so grateful to be together tonight. And we're we're grateful to open up the word of God. We know every portion of it is inspired and breathed out by God and is profitable for everyone who will consider themselves good soil ready to receive and act upon the word that is spoken. So may it be your words and not mine. May you speak, Lord, and may you give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. A book of remembrance is the title Malachi 3, verse 13. The Lord is addressing the people through the preaching of the prophet Malachi And he says these words. He says, your words have been arrogant. The the Hebrew word is kazakh. If you have an ESV, it says your words have been hard. If you have a New King James or an NIV, the essence is, you have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you say in the back and forth question and answer style that we've learned about in this book, you say, what have we spoken against thee or against you? Here's what you've said. You've said it's vain to serve God. The Hebrew word for serve, abad, is the idea of worship and service. You've said it's vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So in the opening verses, we know that God has promised an amazing blessing for those who would repent and do his will, I spent the last part of last week talking to you about the concept of tithing and sharing with you that no one, and I say no one, should ever put a new covenant Christian under any kind of financial curse because this address was given to the Jewish people when there was a temple that they brought the tithe into the storehouse. And I said, if you want to be under the law and you want to put yourself back under the law, then you should be giving 23 and a third percent of your income. And forget about the gross argument. Just give off the net. And if you want to do that, you are more than welcome to do that here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. But I will say to you that you are not under the law. You are under the new covenant in Christ. And all giving in the new covenant is free will giving. What does that mean? It means that God has all of my heart and all of my life, and whatever he wants me to give, I purpose that in my heart. 10% could be the number. It could be 20%. One week it could be 50%, and the next week it could be 5%. It's whatever you decide before the Lord. You open up your hands, which are an extension of your heart, and you give everything that you are. The Corinthian church first gave themselves to the Lord. Then they gave. What God wants first and foremost is your heart and everything else will follow from there. That would be your evangelism. That would be your discipleship. That would be your service. That would be your engagement of spiritual gifts. That would be your care for one another. If you have a heart in love with God, you will give to his kingdom. Sorry, you will give to the church that is feeding you as one of the places that you give. But you'll give to many things because God loves a cheerful Giver, You will give to the mission field. You will give to wherever the Lord leads you to give. Praise God for the ability to give because it is an expression of love. And the Lord promised that if you will give, and speaking now to this Jewish audience here around 400 B.C., he said if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, you will have a blessing that will overflow. In fact, he says, look at the end of verse 10 Uh, Test me in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. You will be prosperous as a nation, in other words. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations, notice, will observe you. And what will they do? They will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. But instead of that occurring, the people stayed in rebellion. And so instead of them being blessed and other nations observing their lives and saying, what a blessed group, what a blessed family, what a blessed nation. They were saying of arrogant people, they're the blessed ones. They're the ones that are, have it going on and good things are happening in their life and all of the above. And so kind of an exchange here of where the blessing should have been. They were seeing other people as blessed. They were were seeing the arrogant as blessed. And they were saying things like this. It's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge? That we've walked around in mourning before the Lord of hosts. The arrogant people are getting away with everything. And we're trying to serve the Lord. And there's no blessing coming our way at all. Now, let's start with the reality first and foremost. The Lord never promised you a rose garden. I beg your pardon. Now, here's the deal. The deal is this, that the Christian life in certain seasons of your life can be hard. And despite the fact that there have been many a preacher who have promised Nothing but blessing if you just pull the right lever and you know say the right prayers and use the right formulas. I've got news for you. The Christian life, you're going to have seasons that are hard. You can do the right thing and it doesn't always pay off. Now you know the Lord's going to bless you, but just look at the life of Jesus just like look at the life of the apostles. Just look at the resume of the apostle Paul and ask yourself, did he always have it easy? Did he always have every meal right in front of him? Did he always have uh, first-class travel and five-star accommodations? And the answer is no. Ask yourself about the life of the apostles. The 11 closest men that served the Lord. Now, we know that they, they had an amazing journey with the Lord, but we know they had hard times and persecution, and the early church was scattered, and... 11 of the 12 apostles die a martyr's death. And so we know that the Christian life is not always easy, but we know it's a blessed life. And we know it's an especially blessed life if you're walking with the Lord and if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you will have many, many blessings. In fact, the new covenant Christian, is it starting to get annoying? If it, if it, if it pops more, okay. Okay. I would say, as a New Covenant Christian, we all know Ephesians 1, that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen? Everything that pertains to life and godliness is ours in Christ Jesus. But one of the ways that the Lord shapes and forms us into His image is obviously through persecution and struggle, and a battle with the world and the flesh and the devil. I, I feel like as a Christian, there are times when I feel like I am just kind of coasting, and I love those times. I love those deep times of fellowship, and sometimes even when no words are necessary, and when you share your faith with someone, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you've reached someone, or you, you've, you've been used to share an encouraging word, or whatever it may be. That's always such a blessing. But there's, a, there's two sides to the coin as a Christian, amen? And those two sides of the coin are sometimes, you know, we look at the persecuted church. We look at sometimes uh, people who seem to be getting away with unjust laws. They don't just seem to be getting away with, they're making unjust laws. They're, uh, they're getting away, it's seemingly, with backroom deals and things that are not right. And we can make our list tonight and, and talk about that. And so whatever the the connection was with these particular people, they were basically claiming there's no profit to serve God. Let me tell you what part of the problem is. Part of the problem is that in America and other nations, we've kind of sold a gospel that is all about personal profit. We've sold a gospel that is following the Lord is about personal gain. We haven't necessarily made it all about the love of the master. We've made it about what's on the master's table. what we can get out of it. And the only way that you would really know if you're blessed is if you get personal advancement. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That sounds like a different set of blessings. Amen. And so I would just lay some of this at the feet of modern word-faith preaching, where basically the message is, if you're not getting prosperity from following the Lord, and I'm talking about personal prosperity and pragmatism, then maybe you ought to try something else. You know, people will say something like this, well, it didn't work for me. And what you're not told is about the back doors of many places that preach this kind of stuff, where people are disappointed, where the formulas didn't work for them. I'll just give you one example and I'll move on. I was on a a panel discussion of a group of pastors taking call-in shows on KKLA, uh, a program called Living by the Word that that I did for about five years with a group of pastors. And an older gentleman called and said, I've been listening to this preacher. And he said, if I would give this amount of money, this is what would happen in my life. And One of the pastors who was in the know said, did he promise you that your kid was going to go to college and that you were going to get all these financial blessings? Yeah, that's exactly what he promised. And he said, has any of that happened? And the man said, no, and I'm confused. And I will tell you that that story could be repeated over and over again. You see, I don't follow the Lord for personal profit, although I will tell you that there are blessings associated with following the Lord that you could never get without following the Lord. Amen? And we we would all agree that people like Abraham and David and Solomon certainly were materially blessed by God. So there's not one formula. God blesses some people and perhaps he blesses according to what he knows we can handle. Perhaps he blesses according to what he knows is going to be our, you know, particular ministry and sphere of influence. It can be different for everybody. But if we make it about personal gain, and that's all it's about, and we don't make it about the glory of our master, and doing what we do for his honor despite what people say or think, what we're going to do is we're going to end up just blowing with the cultural winds, and we're going to end up, frankly, being cowards. We're going to back down when we should step in. And... The people were, were basically saying these kinds of things. They were saying it's not fair. Um, there's no profit in serving God. And, and I would just say this. Well, it, it depends on what kind of profit you're looking for. It depends on what kind of blessings you're looking for. Now, as I have studied the passage, I will tell you that some commentators believe that this first group of people here, this is all feign stuff. They're a group of people doing the rituals. They're a group of people who are doing the half-hearted worship. They're walking around mourning, but it's more like a show. It's more like feigned, uh, you know, oh Lord, you know, they're, they're doing the right thing. They're doing the morning thing. Almost like Jesus said uh, in Matthew 6, when you fast, don't don't show up into the group with your hair disheveled and your face falling and someone asks you, what's going on, brother? I, I, I'm fasting. <laughs> I haven't eaten in two and a half hours. Don't do that stuff. Wash your face. Don't put on a show for men. Because if you get your reward before men, you have no reward before your Father who's in heaven. Now, it could be that this first group, that's exactly what they were doing. They were kind of like, they were going through the rituals. They were doing the stuff, associating blessings with, if I just check the boxes, then blessings surely will come. Rain will come for our crops. You know, we'll have increase. We'll have, our enemies will go away, dot, dot, dot. But the Lord said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the Lord even knows when I do things, and, I, and I'm not going to leave myself out of that because I, I know how to do the right things. I know how to go through the motions as well. But I know what the Lord wants is my heart. I'm going to share this with you, and this is something that I, I've just been kind of praying about in 2022. Is I want this year to learn to walk in true freedom. That is the freedom of, of knowing Jesus Christ, and I want to share that freedom with others. And I'm talking about true freedom now. I'm not talking about I can do whatever I want. I'm talking about truly being free in Christ. And then sharing the good news of that freedom with others. And so here's a couple of scriptures. First uh, Corinthians 8:1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. First Corinthians 13 4 says, Love does not brag. And is not arrogant. We all know, Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? I could give everything I have to the poor. I could become a martyr and let myself be burned at the stake. But if I don't have love, that's love for God and love for others. I am nothing, And it profits me, did you hear that word? It profits me nothing. I could do the outward stuff, even to the degree that I would be extremely benevolent and even maybe sacrifice myself. But if it was void of love, it would mean nothing. It would profit me nothing. Now let's take the positive. But what if those actions are filled with love? What if they are done from the motivation of love? Then they mean everything. Amen? Amen. Then it means everything. If I do what I do from the motive of the love of God and the love of others, then it's full. It's beautiful. It's not empty. It's not void. It's meaningful instead of being meaningless. And so here's what the Lord says In Jude, write down verses 14 and 15 if you're taking notes. It says, Behold, the Lord is coming with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. Jude 1, 14b and 15. When the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones, he is going to judge all of those who have spoken harsh things against the Lord. And that's what these people were doing. Speaking harsh words against God. And the people, people, you know, maybe different sections of people were watching. And they were wondering what's going on. And some of them were saying, it's just, it's just difficult. It's Maybe it doesn't pay to serve God. You know, I've personally had a few people either intimate or come right out and say to me, you are wasting your life by doing what you do. Do you know that? I've had a few people either directly or indirectly intimate to me. You know, you only have one life, and uh, boy, I really like my Sundays. And uh, you know, you, you Christians, your Sundays are pretty much taken. Well, I've got news for you. All of my days are taken. (laughs) But again, they are laid at his feet to have his will be done. And there's no place I'd rather be. And there's nothing that I'd rather be doing. And I love the body of Christ and I love God's people and I love God's word and I love worship. Now, sometimes my flesh is a little behind. Amen. (laughs) I don't always feel everything. I'm not feeling it every single day. But you know what? My heart usually catches up. And when I do some things and I just begin to enter into prayer, I just drop to one knee. The Lord meets me. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil or labor is not ever in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The word vain means empty. That's what they were saying. It's vain to serve the Lord. It's vain to follow his commands. It's profitless. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, not one thing you ever do for the Lord is in vain. It is never empty. Jesus promised us a full life, right? And what we do in his name with the right motive is to the full. And so that's my prayer for you and for me. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. But if the Lord builds the house, then we labor with blessings. Amen? We let the Lord build the house, and then that is a wonderful thing. I was reading a Barna research poll uh, for 2021, and he said, the most recent research is that 38% of pastors in 2021 have thought about quitting full-time ministry. Data collected from the Barnard's Pastors Poll, quoting now, through 2021, indicate that U.S. pastors are currently in crisis and at risk at burnout. Notably, in 2021 alone, there has been a dramatic increase in the number of pastors who are thinking about quitting ministry entirely. With pastors' well-being on the line, and many on the brink of burnout, 38% indicate that they've considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year, and that is nine percentage points uh, ahead of a poll taken earlier in 2021. So almost a full 10% jump. It's been a difficult year for people and pastors, and the Barna Research Group who does this poll says that it's shown up in higher numbers for pastors below 45 as it has for pastors above 45. And maybe that's because pastors above 45 have uh, you know, a few more gray hairs and seen a few more ups and downs in the church. And, and there can be, and, and before I move on past this, I will just say, serving the Lord, sometimes there's ugly sides that you see. All right, sometimes Christians disappoint you. Sometimes churches disappoint you. Uh, sometimes, you know, you see the little fishy on someone's business card, and you think, oh, there it is, a brother or sister in the Lord, guaranteed to have professional work at a very fair rate. After all, we're, we got the fishy. The fishy ain't always a guarantee. In fact, the fishy could mean someone's fishy. I just thought of that. It wasn't even in my notes. I'm just kidding. Don't come to that conclusion, but Strike that from the record. (laughs) Sounded funny at the time, but anyway. Now they said something else. Look at verse 15. They said, so now we call the arrogant, we call the proud, blessed, what they were supposed to be bit uh, to other nations watching them. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up or edified, but they also test God and escape. This is like a settled, the the language could be paraphrased, something like this. They said, from now on, we're going to call the proud the blessed. Now, what does God call the proud? He's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In fact, the proudest being that we read about in the Bible seems to be Satan. Before he fell, he was filled with pride. We know pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. How is it that the people who had the Torah could conclude, and the Psalter also, the book of Psalms, the Proverbs, how could they conclude at this juncture in their history that the proud were blessed? I want you to think about the word proud for a second. And think about how many people are flaunting their pride all over the land and largely in defiance to God and his ways. And they can go on and on about how proud they are about this or that and their they're boasting. How is it that the Jewish people have come to a point, perhaps including leaders and the like, where they would say the proud are the blessed ones now? The people who are, who are doing stuff against God, rebellious people, well, the, the doers of wickedness, they're the ones that are built up. They test God. They seem to, to call out God, and nothing happens. No lightning strikes them, nothing terrible. They just seem to be getting away with it. They're getting away with it. And if, and if you were to observe life for a time, you could come to some of those bummer conclusions I mean, Job came to some of those conclusions, right? He was like, What's going on? I don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why those people are getting away with what they're getting away with. A good definition of an arrogant person is an arrogant person is one who ignores or rejects God's authority over their lives. And so they make themselves a God and they seem to be getting away with it. And, and, I will tell you, I was listening to someone recently who said, basically for about an hour of television that you watch on whatever you're watching, you ought to offset that with an hour of Bible reading because you're going to spend most of your, your time watching television being lied to. And so when you read your Bible, it will undo those lies that you've ingested. And I'm not sure that most of us got that one square. With the way we're investing our time. And maybe that's why we're a bit off in our worldview as the church. And so this is the bummer part of the message. But here's some good news. Verse 16, but by contrast, then those who feared the Lord, and we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, they spoke to one another. And the Lord heard them. He gave attention and heard it, just like he heard the people speaking harshly against him in the first few verses. The Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book or a scroll of remembrance was written before him. Probably here is a picture of an angelic scribe noting the conversation for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Now, the first group of people were complaining about everything, and we always will find people who will complain about everything. The second group of people were either a remnant group, so a committed group that, despite what was going on in the culture, were true to God. They feared the Lord. They esteemed His name. And so they were speaking of the goodness of God and the glory of God and the rightness of His ways and all of that, even when they didn't understand. That's possible. But it's also possible that this group of people, upon hearing the preaching of Malachi, repented, and the Lord heard it. It's possible that what happened was a small remnant of people heard the conversations, heard the whining, heard the complaining, heard the accusations against the Most High God, and said, nope, learned enough in Sabbath school to know I ain't going there. And despite how tempted I am to join in with a conversation and have a pity party and accuse God of all my problems, I'm not going to do it. Oh, Lord, maybe they said something like this. Would you forgive my hardened heart for even taking a moment to drink in that poison? Forgive me, oh, Lord, because you are righteous. You are holy. You are true. You are just. You are loving. It may have been something like that. And the Lord went, Oh, not that he has revelations like that. But he heard what was being said, and a book of remembrance was noted. An angel started taking notes for the Most High God. Now, I got news for you the Lord doesn't need to take notes, He doesn't need a diary. He doesn't need a lined notepad. Some of you old school people with lined notepads. He doesn't need a calendar that you write on. Nor does he need a computer. You know why? Because he knows everything. He doesn't have to have an angel pull out a book from a, a date a few weeks ago to remind him what you did or what you prayed or where you were or what was going on. He knows Everything. Amen. This is what omniscience means. He knows everything. He doesn't have a supercomputer in heaven, although books in heaven and computers in heaven certainly are possible. But God is the one who designed the people who designed the computers. And He designed the computer in your brain which apparently we only use 10% of, and all God's people said, yep. <laughs> Sometimes wonder if I'm meaning, even meeting that criteria. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. And it was written down. Now, when you see something like this, here's what you could conclude. Whenever you see what's called anthropomorphic terminology, that just simply means human language to convey an idea. It's for us. To get it. We, at this time, people wrote th- things on scrolls and they kept records. Do you remember uh, the king in Persia when he asked for the record and he was reminded that Mordecai was the one who uh, revealed the plot against his life and then he, he basically called Haman to reward Mordecai much to the chagrin of Haman or Haman if you grew up in the 70s. Never mind. Anyway, but he had the record read back to him and it was re- it, the record was kept in the Persian Empire. And in the scriptures, there are records that are noted, and often they're called the book of life or the books being opened. You can write down Exodus 32, 32 Daniel 7 10. Jesus said to the apostles in Luke 10 20, don't, reco- don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, rejoice that your names are recorded. In heaven, amen? Now we all know that there's a book of life, amen? Our names were written down there before the foundation of the world. We know that those names that are in the book of life will not be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 10. And you could read through the end of the chapter. So the Bible does talk about books. Philippians 4, 3, Paul talks about those whose names are written in the book of life. And it even gives us this idea in Revelation chapter 20 that the books were open and the the dead, small and great, stood before the Lord and the books were open and they were judged according to what was written in the books. So whether there's literal books that are open, and I, I would imagine it would be a lot of books, right? Or it's just the omniscience of the Lord, which I think the latter is true since he knows everything, people will be judged according to what they have, been, they have done, whether good or bad. We're told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now here's the good news. As a believer, the Lord has decided to remember your good works and forget your sins. And all God's people said, thank you, Lord. Your sin was nailed to the cross with him. He's decided to remember your good deeds and forget your sins. Oh, that's the good news of the gospel. And that's why we celebrate every day God's grace. And so the Lord took note of it. He knows what we do. He knows what we think before we think it. He keeps a record. Here's a life application. And I picked this up as I was reading this week. Wouldn't it be good if we remembered how good people are to us and actually said something to them about it. In Philippians 4, Paul said, uh, he was speaking to the church and he said, you know, you've been faithful to give to me on several occasions. Wouldn't it be cool if all of us who hear this message tonight would text one person and say something like this, I remember something that you did. You were gracious to me. You were helpful. You prayed for me. You met that need, and I am grateful. Wouldn't it be nice if we had kind of a book of remembrance? Because apparently the Lord cares about that kind of stuff because he notes it. It's, it's conveyed to us in a way that it was written down before him, and he heard what was going on. And here's kind of a, I guess you could say a convicting thing. If he hears that kind of stuff, then he hears what I say at Bible studies and in conversation groups and to family members. And at critical moments, maybe in the history in which we live, whether I was afraid and fearful or courageous and stood up and said, no, we're not going to live like that. Yes, we are going to pray over this. Yes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He hears all of that. He knows all of it, and he records it, and I think that's going to be part of the well-done, good, and faithful servant, is that you stood up. You stood up for me. Psalm 139, verse 16, if you're taking notes, says, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. Psalm 139, 16. Would you all turn with me to Psalm 56? We're going to come back to Malachi. Psalm 56. So you've got to go back a little bit. I want to show you just one encouraging psalm that has the idea of this book of remembrance and how the Lord ministers to our lives. Psalm 56. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. It's a mictum of David. And you have a little record of some of the things that were going on. Here, when the Philistines seized him in Gath, Psalm 56. So a very troublesome time in David, David's life. And he said these words, Psalm 56.1, Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me, fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When, I'm a, when I am afraid, fifty-six, three. I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long, they distort my words, and their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them, aforth, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. Thou hast taken account of my wanderings, notice, put my tears in your bottle are they not in your book now there are several places i could take you but do you do you get the idea even when we're going through tough difficult times the lord says would you put my tears in your bottle would you take note of my wanderings are they not in your book then my enemies nine will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to Thee, for Thou hast delivered my soul from death, indeed, my feet from stumbling, so that I might walk before God in the light of the living. Back to Malachi. If you read through Revelation 2 and 3, and we won't go there for tonight, you will see that Jesus says on multiple occasions, I know your deeds. I know your toil. I know your perseverance, Revelation 2.2. I know your tribulation and poverty, Revelation 2.9. I know your deeds, Revelation 2.19. I know what you do. I know how you endure. And even when he corrects them, he says, I know what you're facing. And here's what he says to this remnant in Malachi 3.17. He says, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own, if you have an ESV, NIV, my own treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. This remnant, whether they repented or they were faithful all along. God says, them I'm going to spare. And I'm going to answer the question of the accusations that have been levied against me by leading into a time when the day of the Lord comes. And you will know that I, have, I am the God of justice. You might ask, where is God's justice? I'm going to answer your question. You you may say, oh, I've heard those people say there's no profit in serving God. Why, why do I keep His commandments? Why do I do this? Why do I walk along morning? I'm going to answer that question for you. But first, you need to know that the people that have been faithful to me, they're my treasured possession. First Peter two nine. They're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that they may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light on that day they shall be mine new king james says the lord of hosts on that day i will that i make them my jewels and i will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves god and one who does not serve him on that day and we'll talk about the day in a moment what that day is on that day, I will make my people, my treasure, my jewels, and then I will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Jesus told several parables in Matthew 13. I think most of you are familiar with them. And he told a parable about the wheat and the tares. And basically, these tare plants grew up. And uh, they, the servant said, well, didn't you plant good seed in your field? And he said, yes, But an enemy has done this. And they said, do you want us to pull up the tares? And he said, no, lest you pull out some of the wheat. Let them both grow together until the day of the harvest. Then we will take the wheat and put it into my barn. And then the tares will be burned up with basically, I think the language is with fire or unquenchable fire. Sometimes it's hard to know who the real ones are and who are not, the true from the false, true faith from false faith, the real McCoys from the phonies. But on that day, the Lord says, you will know, because I will separate the sheep from the goats, right? I will make a distinction, or as it was sung in an old song, there's a day when we will be counted, and the Lord will separate us on that day, And so you say, well, what is that day? Well, here it is, and this is why we move into chapter four. Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. This is imagery of the second coming or the judgment of God. And all the who? All the arrogant, and every evildoer. Those people that you said, oh, it's the prideful that are blessed. They're blessed. Have you seen the the show, the lifestyles of of those people? Look at how blessed they are. You know, the word blessed has almost been stolen for material prosperity. Blessed, blessed, right? That's That's been hijacked. You see, the day is coming and it's burning like a fire or a furnace and all the arrogant and every evildoer that you said was getting away with their wickedness, what will they be like? And they'll be like chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither them neither root nor branch. The religious leaders, some of them came up to John the Baptist, it says, for baptism. And he responded with a uh, politically correct response and saying, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one is coming after me who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, will gather the wheat into his barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3, 10 through 12. And as we study next week, you will see that the elijah that the lord was going to send before the great and terrible day of the lord at least the first fulfillment of that is john the baptist and john the baptist warned the religious leadership of his day that if they didn't repent the lord was going to baptize with fire the positive sense of that is the baptism of the power of the holy spirit the negative side of that is the fire of judgment which john the baptist warned about zephaniah 2:3 says Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And I will say to you, if you belong to the Lord, you will be hidden. Because it says, verse 2, chapter 4, we're almost done. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness. Now, he's like a blazing furnace to the ungodly or the wicked, but he's the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Now, I believe that what you're seeing here is the ultimate day of the Lord, where the wicked get judged by fire at the day of the Lord's judgment, and two things happen at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they? Rescue of the righteous in the resurrection and rapture of God's people. First Thessalonians 4. And wrath. Two things happen when the Lord returns on that day. There will be rescue of the righteous, resurrection and rapture, and then the wrath of God. I believe, brethren, that verse 2 takes us all the way forward to that delineation so that the wicked are judged in the imagery of being burned up here. And the righteous have the sun shining on them They will shine like uh, the sun in the kingdom of our Father, right? And healing will be in His wings, and they will skip about. And I can't help but think this is when we get resurrection bodies. And all God's people said, yeah, yeah. And I think we'll be skipping about. Some of you who don't even think about skipping anymore. It's a distant thought to you. Skip. That's for the younger ones. That's for... Back in the day, what do you mean, skip? Oh, you'll be skipping. You know why? You're going to get a new body. You're going to get a resurrection body in which there is no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more pain. The former things will have passed away. And I imagine someone like Linda will be skipping. Amen? Maybe even Paul Volton, the pearly gates, as Johnny Erickson Tata put it. From her own wheelchair. One day we're going to skip about like calves. This has the idea of a, a, you know, a fed calf who just you know the gate opens to them and they go bounding around. For those of you who love dogs, and you should. Imagine a new puppy and just how happy they are bounding around, man, <laughs> just excited. That's the picture here. And while the wicked are going to be going, "Uh uh-oh, the righteous are going to be going, oh, yeah, and the Lord is going to shine the sun of healing and life. Get this, there's healing in his wings, and many uh, former theologians and scholars believe this is a title for the Messiah. He will shine on us. And give us the ultimate healing at the second coming. See, right now we we deal with death. And we we we've gone through this thing the last couple of years, and there's been some some difficult things, right? And right now people are watching and and they're watching from home because they're sick. And it's not just the COVID thing we've been through, it's just the normal fallen world of cancers and car accidents, and things that we could talk about. But on that day, brethren, there's healing in his wings. And you will be hidden under the shelter of his wings. And he says, I make all things new. And the renewal of all things includes the redemption of our bodies. There's healing in his wings. And sometimes he does heal this side of those promises. And we, who knows how many times the Lord has healed us from a myriad of things. And all of the days that were to live were written in his book before one of them came to pass. So we don't have to freak out about that stuff. He's on the throne. But this is a picture of ultimate healing. And it's a promise that you can take to the bank. And one day, I think a few of us are going to be skipping along side by side maybe singing a hymn, maybe singing an upbeat praise song from the 70s or 80s or who knows, or a hymn from earlier or whatever it's going to be, we'll be skipping about. This is a picture of joy and happiness, unbridled joy. The fathers generally apply the Son of Righteousness title to Christ, who's the source of our justification and glorification. And this is a picture of happiness and joy. But there's a, there's a part B of the picture, and this, it's the final verse. And you will tread down the wicked. You know the ones that you've been asking about? You know the ones that you said were getting away with everything? You know the ones that you think, you know, they commit evil and nothing ever happens to them? You're going to tread them down as you're skipping about. You'll tread down the wicked. What will they be? Well, they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day... Which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you for your promises in Jesus. They are yes and amen. Thank you for the word of God. We have uh, tackled a text tonight that is filled with challenge and beauty, filled with conviction and hope. And I think just about every passage we deal with has all of it. But thank you for the beauty of your promises. Thank you that in Revelation 20, 21, you say, behold, I make all things new. And you say, write this down for these words are faithful and true. Thank you that you are true. Thank you that it is impossible for you to lie. And one day we will all be healed. One day we will skip about like calves from the stall. One day, the beauty of the sun of righteousness will shine on our faces. I think of days when I walk outside here in Southern California and feel the beauty of the sun on my face, and I think, man, that's nothing compared to what's coming when the sun of God shines on us, his face shining on our face, the beauty of his touch, that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Perhaps we will... Skip about and dance with him. Who knows what we will do on that day. But here's what we know. It's a beautiful day that's coming where you make all that's wrong right again, Lord. Thank you. you Keep your heart bowed. Maybe you've been away from the Lord. Maybe Maybe you've had some of these questions. Maybe you said something like, man, there's no profit in this Christian life. It's too hard. Join the club. But just know that we need to repent of that kind of attitude. And when we get it right, the Lord hears us. And he blesses us. And he says, look, sometimes the answers are not going to be right at the moment. They're going to be in the future. Sometimes it's going to be a matter of waiting But it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus tonight. Maybe opening your heart for the first time is what you need to do, that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. Wherever you're at tonight, just know that he knows your heart and he knows the good that you do and the struggles and the prayers that you've prayed, and he's for you and they're written in his book, and he loves you. Thank you for the book of life, Lord. Thank you that our names are recorded in heaven, and thank you that they're written in the blood of the Lamb because you love us so much. We just lay uh, our lives at your feet afresh, and we pray that all in Jesus' name.